So we are in a series called God at Work in the Wilderness. And in this series, we're talking about how the Israelites came out of slavery in Egypt and God told them, hey, I'll give you the land of Canaan, the land of the Canaanites. But right when they came out of Egypt, they didn't end up in the promised land. There was a space of 40 years in the wilderness in between coming out from where they were to where they were going. And that's what we're talking about in this series, the in-between, the wilderness. And they weren't, when they came out, they weren't yet to the place that God had for them. But God had things to teach his people in the wilderness. God had lessons for his people to learn in the wilderness. And that's what we're talking about in this series. What are the lessons that God sought to teach his people in the wilderness? Some of which they learned and some of which they should have learned and didn't. And, and maybe you've noticed this, and if not, it'll become clear today, um, but we're focusing more on the lessons in the wilderness than the chronology of the wilderness. Um, we're focusing on the lessons that God had for his people to learn in the midst of the wilderness. So what have we learned so far in the wilderness? We've talked about provision, God-led vision, and needing one another. When there is a temptation for lack, we talked about how we see provision in the wilderness. Um, when there's a temptation to be self-led, we need God-led vision in the wilderness. And Steve talked about how the Israelites, it was like a two-week journey from Egypt to Canaan, the direct shot, but right in between were the Philistines, the people, like, and God said, oh, if they encounter them, then the people will just run backwards. And so God had to lead them on a less than direct path. And so there, there can be a temptation to move too quick through the wilderness, or there can be a temptation to move too slow. That's why we need God-led vision in the wilderness. And when there is a temptation to do it alone, last week we talked about how we need one another in the wilderness. So what's the lesson for this morning? When there is a temptation for bitterness, we need restoration in the wilderness. We need restoration in the wilderness. So the people of God were in slavery. Um, Pharaoh was concerned that the Israelites, the people of God, were becoming too numerous. And so they enslaved them. They worked them ruthlessly, tirelessly, they made them throw their male, the sons that were born into the Nile. They oppressed them. Then God brought them out. God set them free. And this morning, we're going to go backwards to the first story that we see after they come out through the waters of the Red Sea. We're going to look at the first story that we see as they emerge out of the waters of the Red Sea and emerge into the
the wilderness. So we're going three days out. And so if you have a copy of God's word, um, you can turn to Exodus chapter 15. This morning we'll be looking at verse 22 through 27. So just a, a few verses this morning, but we want to hone in on them and see what can we, what is God saying to us today in his word? In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, um, it, says, it says this, Ezra opened the book, all the people could see him because he was standing above them, but as he opened the book, the people stood. And so since we have a short text this morning, um, can we stand uh, for the reading of God's word Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 through 27. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling, an instruction for them, and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. You may be seated. A couple years ago, uh, it, was about, it was about two years ago, I um, did the Manitou Incline with a couple students. Uh, the Manitou Incline is in Manitou Springs, and it's a mile long, basically straight up the side of a cliff. Uh, there are 2,768 stairs. In high school, I think I had said before, like, oh, I like running stairs. When it comes to 2,768 of them, it's a little bit different. So the Manitou Incline is 2,700 plus stairs, just straight up over the span of a mile. And the interesting thing about it is you can kind of see where you're going the whole time. Like you can see what looks like the top the whole time, so you kind of know where you're headed. Granted, it's stairs up a cliff, but you can see where you're going. And so, started out, bushy-tailed and bright-eyed. You start getting in those steps, 10, 20, 30. You're feeling good. You're feeling real good. Get 100 steps in, or stairs in, a couple hundred. You're feeling, feeling uh-oh. Uh, that goodness that you started out with starts to tire a little. And... 
And that's exactly what happened with me. There came a point where it's like, I am not enjoying this anymore. <laughs> like, I am so tired. Unlike the two students that I was with, they were in shape. I was not. So at some point, I was like, all right, you guys just go. I'm just going to suffer through this at a slower pace. So went little by little, little by little. And it didn't get easier the longer I went. But, but slowly, it's only a mile, slowly I got closer and closer to the point that I had been looking at the whole time, right? I saw where I was going, and little by little, I was so tired, I was so exhausted, but little by little, I kept going, and I got closer and closer and closer. I spent all of the energy that I had to get to the point that I could see right in front of me or ahead of me. Kept closing in, kept closing in, break, few stairs break, few stairs break. Eventually, eventually, I got to that point that I had been seeing all along. I spent all of my energy to get to that point. And I got there, I turned uh, like one more step, and it was a false summit. The point that you had been looking at the whole time wasn't actually the top. And you don't know that until you're there. And what was the problem? I had spent all of my energy to get to that point. Now what do I do? The Israelites came out of the Red Sea and one of the interesting things is that wasn't the end of it. I was thinking about and resonating, what were they feeling as they came out? So they escaped Egypt. They were let go by the Egyptians. And then as they were getting ready to, to leave, then Pharaoh changes mind and chases after them. They go through the waters of the Red Sea. God miraculously provides a way out. They look behind them and they see the Egyptian army drowning behind them, but now they're out in the wilderness. And now is when it seems like the journey starts. They come to water. Imagine how that would have felt. So the, the, the emotional high of coming out of the water, seeing God miraculously provide, but then you're in the wilderness. And day one, day two, maybe they drank their water quickly that they had, but either way, they are thirsty. They don't have water. And now they see water. They see water. They come to find water. But they realize then that it's not drinkable. It's bitter water. And maybe it was something like, oh, they came to the crest of the summit and they realized, oh, this isn't the finish line. They came to water, and they couldn't drink it. The water was mar. It was bitter. They get to this place, but then the water's not drinkable. Imagine the, what they would have been feeling in that moment. The hopefulness of finding water and then realizing we can't drink it. 
It's not fit to drink. The water was bitter. But what we can see is that the people, the people also were bitter, right? So the people grumbled against Moses, verse 24, saying, what are we to drink? The water was bitter and so were the people. There was bitterness in their hearts and then from that place, murmuring came out from their mouths as a response to what was within. We talked about a few weeks ago how in in the wilderness, sometimes we can experience lack. And then what happens here? So they experience lack, right? They don't have water. But then what happens? They come to water and it's bitter. And their lack that they were experiencing or feeling turns to bitterness. It's bitter. The water is bitter and so are the people. What is bitterness? Some people have described bitterness in its simplest form as discontentment. Becoming emotionally bitter can oftentimes be like the progression of a child's physical growth. Parents, if you're a parent, you don't often see the progression or perceive the growth of your child on a daily basis. You don't notice how they're growing every day, but then suddenly something happens. Maybe they're standing next to someone or from a certain angle and you see, oh wow, they grew a lot. Becoming emotionally bitter can happen similarly in that it can oftentimes grow, but it grows in imperceivable ways to us. But then something happens. Maybe a situation happens and the way we respond realizes, oh, I've become bitter and I didn't even realize what was becoming. I've become so much more bitter than I realized. Um, A psychologist um, came up with an assessment for how we can gauge the bitterness of our own hearts. And there's three ways that this psychologist outlined that we can gauge the bitterness that, again, it's it's hard to tell how we're becoming more and more bitter, but maybe these gauges can help us along the way figure out, has bitterness begun to take root within? Is bitterness growing within, maybe even in ways that we're not aware of? The first gauge that they talk about for how you can assess the bitterness within is consider how frequently you get irritated or bothered by small things, things of inconsequence, things that aren't that big of a deal. So as I say these, think to yourself. Assess your own heart with these Three things. How often are you irritated or bothered by things of little significance? 
A second gauge of bitterness is you feel that others don't fully understand you or appreciate what you do. How often do you feel that others don't really understand you or don't appreciate all of the things that you do? And, and as a rule, they, they outlined that the quality of relationship suffers when there's bitterness within. Third gauge, is hope harder to find? Is hope harder to find within, in your heart? Think about those gauges. Bitterness can also be described not simply as a mix of emotions, but also the accumulation of disappointments over a lifetime. And that is too much to carry if we carry that alone. If we don't lay that down, it's too much to hold. So here's a question for us this morning. Is your heart becoming more bitter? Or is your heart becoming more loving? And I'm not asking, are you a loving person or a bitter person? What is the trajectory of your heart? Is the trajectory of your heart one that is growing more and more bitter or more and more loving? What is the trajectory of your heart? Is your heart becoming harder over time in bitterness? Or is your heart becoming softer in love? The water was bitter, and so were the people. What do we see in verse 25? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. The wood that Moses throws in miraculously serves as a life straw that's able to filter the water, and they can drink it. It makes the water fit to drink. And then what does it say at the end of verse 26? For I am the Lord who heals you. God healed the water of its bitterness, and God will take your bitterness and heal it. Just like the water, he will heal your heart. Give your bitterness over to the Lord this morning. Lay down your bitterness at the feet of Jesus. Lay it down. Experience the one who has the power to heal you this morning. If there's bitterness in your heart, if there's bitterness within, if your heart as you age is hardening in bitterness, give that over to him this morning. If your heart 
is often bothered by little things. Give those little things over to him this morning and all the little things that will come. If you often feel that others don't appreciate you or value you, give that over to the one who can heal you this morning. Give it over to the one who knows you fully, values you fully, and loves you fully. Lay that down for him this morning. And if hope is becoming harder to find, give that over to him this morning. Give him your bitterness this morning. Oftentimes, we can trust in Jesus for salvation. We lay our sins down at the cross, receive salvation. But what can often happen is we don't go to the cross nearly enough. And what can happen is that our hearts can become, we've gone to Christ for salvation. We've trusted in him, but slowly over time, our hearts have become a little bit harder. Maybe it's in imperceivable ways at times, but our hearts have become harder. Lay it down at the foot of the cross this morning where Jesus is there with open arms. Give him your bitterness this morning. Continually come before him. Not just once as we trust in him, but continually letting him fill us, letting him heal us, and letting him restore us. What happens next? Verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs, 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the water. What happens next is the Israelites come to Elam. The place of 12 springs, 70 palm trees, they find abundance. They find a place that's restorative, refreshing. So when I crossed that false summit at the Manitou Incline and looked up. I thought, there's no way that I can make it the rest of the way. It looks so far away, the actual top. But you want to know the truth? It just looked that way. It actually wasn't very far away. It wasn't that far away. I didn't have much left until I could get to the top and actually relax. Experts um, kind of archaeology and um, geography of biblical times think that the place of Mara is a place called Wadi Amara and that the place of Elam is called, uh, at a place called Wadi Gaharandel. And if these are the places which most people think that they are, then Elam is just seven miles south of Mara. And I bet when the Israelites went to that place where it was bitter water, I bet they thought, what are we going to do? But Elam was only seven miles south. A place of abundance, 
Sometimes in the midst of our bitterness, our disappointments, or frustrations, we just have to lay them down at the feet of Jesus and keep going. Just one foot in front of the other. Keep following, keep trusting, keep persevering. Just keep going a little further and you might just find Elam, the place of abundance. Maybe Elam isn't as far away as we might think. A place of abundance, a place of restoration. So the Israelites were in the wilderness and they had no water. Then they came and they found bitter water. Then Moses throws a stick in and it's healed water. And then they find this place of Elam that is restorative and abundant water. 12 springs, 70 palm trees, a place of abundance. In the midst of the wilderness, we need healing. We need to find healing. We need to find healing for our bitterness and we need to find Elam, places of restoration. Do you have areas in your life that are restorative? Places you can go to find rest in the midst of the wilderness. The primary place should be the feet of Jesus that we find rest. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. But are there also people, places, ministries, hobbies, places in your life that are restorative for you? You will never make it to all of the places that God has for you in your life without finding restoration along the way. We'll never make it to the promised land as a church if we don't find restorative places, places of Elam along the way. We need, church, to find healing in Marah, and we need to find restoration in Elam. When I got to the top, the Manitou incline, the actual top, I got to relax, breathe, and restore my strength. But actually, I was only kind of half done, right? Now, coming down was way easier, but still had to make it back to the car. Um, if they, it says three days they traveled then the next story that we find, they're at day 45. And so the Israelites could have potentially spent as much as 40 days at Elam. Um, we don't know, but potentially. Once they came out from the place of Elam, the grumbling starts again. The palm trees and the springs probably felt very distant. But that's all the more reason why we need to find Elam. We'll never be able to make it through the times that are harder 
without finding restoration along the way. Find Elam in your wilderness. If at the end of our wilderness season as a church, or at the end of your wilderness seasons as individuals, whenever that comes, maybe it's now. If we come to the end of a wilderness season in our life, and all we can say is, thank God that's over, then we have missed the point of the wilderness. Then we have missed the lessons that God has for us in the wilderness. You will never make it to the promised land, to everything that God has for you in your life without finding healing in Mara, healing of our bitterness and without finding restoration in Elam. And church, I'll leave us with this. Maybe Elam, the place of restoration, is just on the other side of Mara, is just on the other side of experiencing God's healing of our bitterness. Maybe then when we lay that down at the foot of the cross, then we can experience the place of Elam, the place of abundance, the place of restoration, so that we can continue on to the journey that God has for us as a church. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. And as we do uh, sing this final song, one of the things that, that I want us to to do this morning, respond how you see fit this morning. As the worship band starts singing, if you need prayer, if you want someone to pray for you, we're going to have an elder in each of the alcoves and one up in the balcony. If you need someone to pray for you right now, before you leave, just Go up to them, and maybe it's as simple as saying, I'm bitter, would you pray for me? And maybe that's a response this morning for what we need to do to move past the bitterness so that we can experience Elam. Maybe this morning you just want to talk to the Lord. And I would just encourage you as we sing this song to just stay where you're at. Just pray to the Lord to heal you of your bitterness, to help you find places of restoration. And maybe you just need to worship this morning. And if that's the case, then worship with all that you are. What do you need to do? Where is God calling you to respond this morning? What's the next step for how you can heal the places of bitterness within and find places of restoration? Lord, pray now that you would just work in our hearts. Lord, may we lay our bitterness down, down at your feet. Lord, you are a healing God. And so, Lord, I pray for, for those of us who, whose bitterness has grown, maybe in ways that we haven't even been able to perceive. Lord, that we would be able to find healing this morning. And Lord, that we would be able to find places of restoration as well. 
Would you heal us? Would you help us find restoration in you? We pray this all in your precious, holy, and glorious name. Amen.